All right, uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I'm going to read these 12 verses, and as I read these 12 verses, I want you to uh, think about the marks of a prevailing church. A prevailing church is a overcoming church, a victorious church, a church that meets the enemy and defeats the enemy. Prevailing church uh, obviously takes possession of God's promises, has spiritual momentum to it, has an overcoming spirit to it, is not overcome by evil, but has the presence of God in and among them, and they're victorious. And uh, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is in the house, and a lot of things take place when Jesus is in the house, and we're the house of God, and I believe Jesus is here. And the things that took place here in Mark chapter 2, in a very spiritual sense, you know, I titled this message, The Signs of a Prevailing Church. But like I always say, Bullwinkle had two titles, The Church I Want to Pastor. That's my second title. The Signs of a Prevailing Church or The Church I Want to Pastor. So as I read these 12 verses, be thinking about what are the signs of a prevailing church or what is happening when Jesus is in the house that you would say, you know what, I'd like to go to a church just like that. You guys got your assignment? And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? That's an interesting question, isn't it? I read all sorts of commentaries and sermons trying to answer that question. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, Take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose, took up the bed, went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So the signs of a prevailing church or the church I want to pastor. Miss Forstoff, give me a sign. She likes the idea that there's no room left because it's so full of people. Boy, I like that one too. The house was filled with, I think in the New Living Translation it says it's filled with visitors. Boy, I like that one as well. Jesus is in the house and it's filled with people, you know, wanting to hear Jesus or see Jesus, right? Receive from Jesus. All right, somebody else you have. Yes, go ahead. Immediately the paralytic rose. 
So you, you say that's a sign or the following Jesus and following the will of God. Following Jesus, following the will of God. I like the idea that it was immediate. You know, when Jesus comes into your life, it is immediate change, right? I mean, how can it not be? Old things have passed away. All things become new. Very good. Who else has a... Uh, yes, go ahead. Saw their faith. Saw the faith of the four men or saw the faith of the four men and the paralytic? He saw their faith. It was joy. But, the, you know, a prevailing church has faith. They believe God, right? Very good. We'll do one more. One more. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, they're praising the Lord, aren't they? Praising God. Uh, church I want to pastor praises God. A prevailing church praises the Lord. Praises the victory. All right, I love that. I love that. All right, let's take a look at this. Last week I looked at number one, what are the signs of prevailing church? Number one was Jesus is in the house. Who'd like to be in the ministry and pass out our, the message? Uh, I didn't do it ahead of time because the answers are there. Did you eat, your, eat the pizza? <laughs> the kid. Okay. I saw him carrying a box of pizza. He said, I, did, I, didn't, have, I didn't have dinner. And it was pizza for the, for the kids, for kids on the rock. And, and Brad took it for himself. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, maybe it's because the refrigerator's out. You know, uh, out, out, since, out since February, girl, but get a new fir- a refrigerator. Quit praying about it. That's what I was thinking. Just go to Home Depot. Pick out a problem solved. All right. The signs of a prevailing church. Jesus is in the house. We talked about that last week. The next one, my my wife, my lovely wife, talked about this. The house is filled with people. In verse 2 in the New Living Translation, it says, Soon. The house where he was staying was packed with visitors. So a prevailing church, I believe, is an inviting church. I mean, uh, Jesus was in the house and is packed with people because he's in the house. Somebody had to noise it abroad that Jesus is in the house, right? I mean, they didn't have social media. It's not like Jesus was texting everybody. It's not like God the Father was sending words of knowledge into the hearts of these people. Uh, if you go to uh, 3rd Maple, Maple Street, number house number 3, uh, Jesus will be there at 7.15 p.m. No, I mean, the, the people that knew Jesus had to be sharing the fact that Jesus had entered the city, that he's in the house. And so prevailing church is an inviting church. One of the things that we see about the disciples of Jesus is what they do, uh, come and see. Come and see. And so this is what uh, my staff and I, we do. Uh, Monday mornings is our staff meeting. It's at 10 o'clock in the morning. And we've been doing this now probably for since the winter time, January, February, we started this. And maybe did we start even before that? Uh, even before that. But I challenge them. I want you to invite somebody to church every single week. Just invite them. And uh, we hold each other accountable. Because if you don't hold each other accountable, 
you quickly stop inviting, nobody's holding you accountable, next thing you know, it just goes by the wayside. And so every Monday morning, to maybe my staff's chagrin, uh, we hold each other accountable, and uh, most of the time, everybody has invited. Every now and then, one would say, you know, I didn't invite somebody, and so they get the, they get the, the trumpet fanfare. It's devastating. But so we go around, and who did you invite, and, and all that. And so today, I was getting my hairs cut, and uh, she was celebrating her 27th birthday, the, the girl that was cutting my hairs. And it was time to check out, and so uh, I'm up at the ca- uh, cash register, and I got out my wallet and pulled out my invite card to Cornerstone Church. Said, And I, I just said, you know what? I'm a pastor. This is a great church. I would love to invite you to Cornerstone Church. She said, no, thank you. And I said, no, this is just an invite. It's a great church. She said, I am not interested at all. She shut me down. But that very rarely ever happens. Usually they take it and uh, thank you for it. And uh, we've had so many people come as a result of just personally inviting. Personally inviting. And so in the fall, this is on my heart, in the fall, this is, I'm going to announce it right now. I'm going to announce it right now. In the fall, I'm going to raise up a team out of Cornerstone Church of 100 people or more that make it their mission, their calling, their ministry to invite somebody every single week to Cornerstone Church. It could be a member of the family, somebody they meet like a cashier, uh, a distant cousin, a friend, uh, whoever it might be. I'm going to raise up 100 people who every week invites at least one person to church so that we can have a prevailing church that just like in Mark chapter 2 is packed with visitors. I'm wondering if there's somebody here tonight that said, you know what, I would probably join that ministry when you offered. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right, so we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. We got twenty right here. All I need is eighty more. And then we'll hold you accountable every week. I'll send you a text and on it will go, if you forget. But I think that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. I believe a prevailing church is an inviting church. It is filled with people who are excited about Jesus, passionate about worship, and they love his word. And I love Ezekiel 36. This is God calling his people back from Babylonian captivity. I mean, the place that they're coming back is now barren and desolate. And the Lord promises in Ezekiel 36 this. And when I bring you back, people will say, The former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls and are filled with people. Then the surrounding nations that survive will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruins and replanted the wasteland. For I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do what I say. This is what the the sovereign Lord says. I am ready to hear Israel's prayers and to increase their numbers like a flock. 
They will be as numerous as the sacred flocks that fill Jerusalem's streets at the time of her festivals. The ruined cities will be crowded with people once more, and everyone will know that I am the Lord. Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? God's promise to the nation of Israel to restore and replant and refill uh, that land, uh, those people. And uh, I tell you what, that's great. When Jesus was here, as I mentioned last week, Mark chapter 2 is the beginning of his ministry. He had moved the headquarters from Nazareth where he was born, or excuse me, where he was raised, born in Bethlehem, but where he was raised. He had moved it to Capernaum, which is right there along the Sea of Galilee. And about 80% of the Lord's ministry on earth was around the Sea of Galilee. Not down in Jerusalem or in Samaria, but around the Sea of Galilee. That's where his headquarters was. And uh, Jesus began this ministry. And you see it picking up momentum. You see it building and growing. And people are just flocking to him. And he's teaching the Word. And he's saving souls. And he's healing people. It's just wonderful. And the Word is being spread. Jesus is in the house. And that's what I want more than anything, to people, people to be attracted to Cornerstone Church, not because of the talented musicians or the beautiful video screens or, or the children's ministry or whatever it might be, or because we're a friendly church or we have a cafe, right? I want people to come because Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. I mean, that's the difference maker, isn't it? More than anything, all this other stuff, gifts and talents and things like this, uh, programs and ministries, they can come and go, wax and wane, ebb and flow and all that stuff. But if Jesus is here, like Jim gave his great testimony, he, he came forward and found Christ and what a difference Jesus has made. He'll help you get a new refrigerator. I mean, just wonderful things like that. That's awesome. Awesome. All right, the next thing I see about a prevailing church is the word is preached. In verse 2, he preached the word to them. So a prevailing church has a church where the word of God is, is preached, proclaimed, taught, declared, right? The word, it becomes word-centric. You know, how many uh, ex-Roman Catholics do we have? A lot. Wow, that's a lot of them, right? A lot of ex. And uh, if you remember uh, church or mass, as they call it, uh, the center of the of the altar area was uh, all built around the Eucharist, right? The Eucharist that was the center, and then the lectern where the word was preached and where the homily was given was off to the side, right? Well, that's by design because the most important thing in the mass is the Lord's Supper, communion. And of course, they believe in transubstantiation where the body and blood literally become, I mean, the, the bread and grape juice literally become the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. And the receiving of that is part of receiving eternal life. And so that is a central part of their service is what they call the mass. And that's what's placed in the center. But the very first time I went to a church other than a Roman Catholic church, I was 18. I was invited to a Baptist church, and uh, the center of the platform was the pulpit. The pulpit. So we're a Protestant church or an evangelical church, and uh, the centrality of the service is the Word of God. The word Jesus was in the house and he preached the word 
to them. A prevailing church is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? A prevailing church earnestly contends for, as it would say in Jude chapter 1, verse 3, earnestly contends for the faith. Contends for the faith. The, the faith, since it's the definite article, the faith, that's talking about the body of truth, the, the, the doctrine, the gospel. And so a church contends for the gospel, the truth, right? We do. And that's why a prevailing church does not compromise it. And the Lord laid it on my heart to encourage pastors. And I, I've had a chance to, to minister this to uh, the Link pastors and also the uh, Elam Bible Fellowship pastors up there in New York. I've had a chance to minister to this. And also down in, uh, down in Alabama with the Worldwide Evangelism, ministered that word to them as well, that we are not to be ashamed of any verse in the Scriptures. There's no verse in the Bible that we need to be ashamed concerning, that we need to backtrack from. It is the Word of the Lord. If it's in the Scriptures, it is the truth. And I've said this before, God is love. Right? God is love. His Word flows from the heart of God. So the Word of God is God's love letter. Some people think that word is too harsh or too judging or, or not applicable for today's day and age. We need to change Scripture to, to fit in with culture. But it is, it is a love letter from the heart of God. God is love. Every verse in the Bible is a loving word from a loving God. And it is the word of God that can save your soul. Receive with meekness the engrafted word of God that is able to save your soul. And so it might be a word that convicts somebody of a lifestyle or a sin or declares that they are outside of saving grace because they're not believers or they're living a certain way. But even though the, wor- the world might say, well, that's judgmental or that's harsh or that's, that's, that's not applicable, it's, it's a love letter from a loving God because if they would receive that word, it will cause them to repent and be saved and then living for eternity with God. Right? So I was listening to a famous preacher and he's dealing with the issue of homosexuality. And this preacher said, you know, we have, and he was trying to really minimize it and didn't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. And he referred to these New Testament passages of scriptures like Romans chapter 1 and also the book of Corinthians chapter 6 that deal with the issue of homosexuality as, as sinful conduct. And he said, you know, there are those that, you know, they always go to those clobber verses. Called them clobber verses, you know, where people like me beat people over the head and say that this is sinful. And he looked at those verses as clobber verses. I look at those verses as loving verses. They're loving verses. Because if someone would receive it, then they would turn from that lifestyle and get saved and enjoy the presence of God for all eternity. But if we say, well, they're just clobber verses, I better not make them uncomfortable by saying this, then they're still in their sins, they're lost, 
and they go into a Christless eternity. Now, how loving is that? That's not loving. That's loving. That's not loving. I mean, if you're a parent and you see your kids playing on the street, a busy street, is the loving thing to do to go and, and warn them and rescue them? Or, well, I don't want to offend Johnny by having, he seems to be having lots of fun and I don't want to be too harsh. And then, uh, you know, car goes and runs them over. I mean, who, what's more loving? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so, I think a prevailing church just embraces the Word of God. The church is supposed to be the pillar and ground of truth, and so a pillar is that which upholds, and we believe that grace saves, right? You are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. So we, we believe that a person is saved by grace, but Jesus also says this, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Grace saves, truth frees. Grace saves, truth frees. Very challenging to get somebody truly free from the power of sin if they don't embrace by faith the truth of God's Word and what God's Word says concerning that sin. Grace saves, truth frees. Grace saves, truth frees. Somebody give me a witness. Amen. Amen. So a prevailing church, the Word of God is preached. In a prevailing church, this was also was mentioned, there is breakthrough faith. In verse 4, and when, they could not come, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, that's breakthrough, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Right there. Prevailing church has break through faith. It does not allow obstacles to stop progress. They find a way to win or to prevail. Breakthrough, breakthrough. Imagine the mess, the mess that happened. The mess that happened. I mean, taking off that roof. Now, roofs back then were flat. They get up on there, and they take off that roof, and Jesus is in there preaching, and people are just listening, and all of a sudden the debris starts coming down, and people's attention is, is off the, uh, what Jesus is saying, and they're now looking up, and, and Jesus, you know. Uh, one thing I no- notice about God, God is never nervous. We can get nervous, but God is never nervous. And Jesus, I'm sure, wasn't nervous, and he didn't see... Uh, He didn't see a bad attitude. He didn't see somebody trying to disrupt. He didn't see somebody being used of the devil. What he saw was faith. When he saw their faith, that's important, isn't it? Their faith. The power of faith to break through, to break through. And so I just want to pray right now. For those of you that are looking for a breakthrough, like you're trying to sell your house and you're, you know, and God broke through, answered your prayer, right? Breakthrough faith. Maybe it's an area of finances. Maybe it's a personal issue you're dealing with. Maybe it's an area in your marriage or your family. And you, you need God to break through the obstacle, break through the challenge, break through the hard-heartedness, break through the impossibility, and come with the 
saving answer or the miraculous answer. So if you need a breakthrough tonight in marriage, family, personally, finance, whatever it might be, just stand to your feet. Let's believe God for breakthrough tonight. He saw their faith. So let's join our faith with them, all right? They're going to believe God for this. So all of us, let's pray. So, so many here tonight. That just tells you the, the, the power of the enemy. That tells us that we live in this world, a fallen place, right? And uh, we need many times God just to come, right? Lord Jesus, we pray right now that you will come by the power of your Spirit. Lord, you see each person that is standing saying, Lord, touch me, heal me, answer me, deliver me, provide for me. Lord, come into my life. Come into my family. Come into my checkbook. Come into my heart, Lord. Come into this relationship. Come into my job. Oh, Lord, answer me in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that you are the God of the breakthrough. Lord, that which is withholding your answer, that which is keeping that miracle from coming, oh, Lord, you are more than able. We lay the impossibility at your feet. As they laid that paralytic at your feet, we lay the impossibility at your feet, and we ask, oh, Lord, right now in Jesus' name, do that miracle. And all God's people said yes and Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Go ahead and be seated. Breakthrough faith. Yes. A place where miracles happen. Healings happen. Miracles happen. Divine intervention happen. Prayers are answered. I'll tell you, I want to pastor a church like that. That's a prevailing church. Number five. The marks of a prevailing church is that there is loving community. They brought that paralytic, and he was carried by four men. Boy, that sounds like a small group. You know, we have connect groups, small groups. You can come and be ministered to, cared for, prayed for, loved on, encouraged, strengthened, challenged at times, right? A prevailing church is known by their love for Jesus and for people. How do you pray for people, or how do you love people? Pray for them, encourage them, be kind to them, help them, gather with them, challenge them, be an example to them, bring them. They're carried by these four men, this paralytic. When Jesus saw their faith, believe God for each other. It's interesting. It's such a loving community that the person that really did not have much to offer, they were welcomed in the house. This paralytic, he's welcomed in the house. Needy people, people with not much to offer, people that might be looked over, they need to be welcomed in the house. You guys agree with that? There needs to be what I call a loving community. You know, for a number of years, we had a man that always sat right where you guys are sitting. His name was Stuart. And uh, Stuart was a challenge to pastor. It was a challenge to pastor. And uh, the more I knew about Stuart, the more I pieced together his life. And uh, he is a very successful lawyer and uh, very wealthy, but uh, had bipolar and that had some dementia issues. Ended up, he wasn't homeless, but 
almost homeless. And I'm not sure, but he found his way to Cornerstone. And there he sat, and he did this for years. And uh, he loved the University of Michigan. He found out that I was a high-state Buckeye guy. And so he never got tired of confronting me <laughs> over that, pointing to his hat, Michigan hat, pointing to his shirt and all that. And uh, he would act out in service sometimes. He'd be loud and inappropriate at times. Uh, he was challenging. He was challenging. But, you know, the Lord spoke to me when Stuart first started coming. I, he wanted me to be patient with him and to share the love of Jesus with him. So that's, that's what I did. Be patient with him, share the love of Jesus. And I'm not the only one. Uh, how many remember Stuart? Yes. And how many did, did the Lord, the Lord might have spoke to you, encouraged you to be kind to him or to be, yes, absolutely. And to your credit, uh, you did that. Uh, that's the, but that's a praise testimony to Jesus, is it not? And then, of course, we found out that he had passed away and uh, we had contacted what we knew was his daughter and she did not want, uh, she had no plans for him no funeral plans or anything like that. And uh, they were kind of estranged from one another. Anyway, it just the Lord laid it on my heart that I wanted to do a, a memorial service for him. So we did. And I was expecting about 15 people to come, honestly. And uh, we got the word out. And there was a big turnout to celebrate Stuart. It is a real blessing to celebrate Stuart. And... He's with the Lord and not sitting on that front pew, and I am celebrating Jesus with him. <laughs> Just being honest. Just being honest. But uh, thank you for sharing the love of Jesus with him, but with others, you know, people that, like this paralytic, uh, I mean, he's carried by these four men. They loved him. They cared for him. Jesus loved him and ministered to them. And everybody in that house, except for the, uh, the hypocrites and the legalists, I mean, they didn't care about him. But everybody in the house, I mean, they're celebrating him, right? And I think a prevailing church needs to have a loving community, don't you? Just a, a loving community. All right. The next one is uh, prevailing church is where critics, legalists, and fault finders are silenced. Verses 6 and 7. And some of the scribes were sitting there. there. That's it, right? They're just sitting there. Sitting there, criticizing, judging. They're legalists. They're fault finders. They're sitting there, reasoning in their hearts. Why, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Because the Lord had said, your sins are forgiven you. So they think, they, they don't believe in him, obviously. Jesus is the Son of God. He is more, than, he has all the authority, right? He has the right to forgive sins, but they think it's blasphemy. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. Only God can forgive sins. So why is Jesus forgiving sins? Because he's God. Because he's God. Jesus knew what they were saying. This is one of the greatest testament, testaments to the deity of Christ is a passage like this. Jesus knew what they were thinking because he had 
that divine ability to read hearts. He knew that they were thinking that he was blaspheming, thinking in their hearts only God can forgive sins. And if Jesus wasn't God in the flesh, and he knew that that's what they were thinking, what, what would he have done? He would have said, no, stop thinking that. I want to clear something up. If you, I, I'm not God. I mean, I don't want you to think that. That's crazy. Don't think that. But Jesus didn't say that, right? He didn't respond that way. He, he declared his deity by forgiving sins and even proving to them that he had the authority and power to forgive sins by, by healing that man. He didn't tell them to stop thinking such things. He reinforced the belief that he literally was God in the flesh. The Son of God. Hallelujah. But critics, legalists, and fault finders are silenced. Transformation and life change silence the critics. Why is it important for them to be silenced? Because self-righteous people are joyless and judgmental. And a prevailing church is filled with just the opposite, joy, hope, and grace. I met with a legalist one time, well, more than once, but not too long ago, wanted to meet with me and discuss certain things. And, and I knew that if I stood my ground and did not give in to uh, the narrow-minded, legalistic train of thought and judgmental spirit, I knew if I did not give in to it that, that they would leave the church. And so I went into the meeting with that understanding, and sure enough, it went right there. And, uh, you know, I just strongly disagreed with them and told them uh, what I believed about this Scripture and that Scripture. And literally, as I was reading the Scriptures to them, they were getting up and walking out. And uh, so we did, we did lose that family, but we lost that family because the last thing I want to be is a church filled with self-righteous, religious-spirited Pharisees that suck the joy and life out of everything, right? And uh, they're sitting by, and Jesus didn't give them an inch. He didn't give them an inch. And th- those were the ones that opposed Jesus more than anybody, were, were the religious leaders that were all bound up in the law and religious observance and trying to be made right by law-keeping, commandment-keeping, and uh, trying to get Jesus to obey the traditions of men. And Jesus refused to give in to those things so that we can know the truth and the truth can set us free. Free. Number seven, a great commitment to the Great Commission. A prevailing church has a great commitment to the Great Commission. That's why I'm excited about Youth Summer Camp. It's an opportunity to preach the gospel to children. That's why we started Renewing Hope as they go out in the local community to serve the community, to solve a problem in the community, to share the gospel. And I never did follow up, Roger or Sue. Your goal was to pass out 3,000 flyers. What, what, did, what, did you attain that goal? Did you fall short? Oh, well, well they passed over 2,000 flyers, going to different parades and to the, to the mobile home parks and passing out flyers, inviting uh, families to send their children to youth summer camp. I mean... 
That's a great commitment to the Great Commission. I always say a great church has a great commitment to the Great Commission. I mean, so we got youth summer camp coming up. We have summer missions. Pastor Luke, how many is going on summer missions that, that you know of right now? 152? A ballpark figure? 40-ish? 40-ish? Going to summer missions down in Mexico? I, I, aren't the prones, aren't you guys going, Lord willing? Yeah, the prones are going and others are going. That's, that's awesome. Our church does send Pastor Steve down to Mexico City to teach pastors and Christian leaders down there in Dr. Sam's Bible College. Pastor Steve, where are you? Well, okay. There he is. Uh, give, a, give a very short testimony of what it was like to teach in that Bible college, because we sent you and uh, teaching down there in Mexico. We're talking about a great commission. With your voice, you probably don't even need that microphone. Hello? Yeah. Uh, short testimony. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Pastor, and, and all of you. Uh, I was asked to do this by Pastor late last year, and I prayed about it, and I felt like the Lord was telling me to go. And uh, But I'd never done this before. So, I mean, I, I teach, and I love to teach. But uh, this was different. Uh, you know, be teaching pastors and church leaders and uh, I had to prepare the class. I had to prepare the exam, and uh, I had help too. Thank you, Beatrice, for translating into Spanish for me. But anyway, went, uh, prayed, took my wife with me, and they took such good care of us. And we we just felt so welcomed, and we just stepped out and taught the class. And my wife even gave a testimony there uh, about some past things that happened to her that related to what I was teaching. And she was well-received as well. And, you know, it turned out so great. Uh, I'm not saying my teaching was all that great, but it was received so well. Maybe it was great. I don't know. But uh, I hope it was at least good. But I could tell, though, because at the end of each session, I would give them opportunity to ask questions or make comments. And I had so many great questions. And I couldn't answer all of them right there, almost all of them. So I said, I'll get the answer for you during the break, and I'll get back to you, okay? And they were just such a blessing. We celebrated our anniversary down there, and guess what? They brought us a cake, a beautiful cake, and celebrated with us. It was wonderful. But yeah, and people just came to the altar when I preached in the church about for, uh, to get healed. I encouraged them to never give up praying for people that are lost, that, that they love. Never, ever give up. You just keep praying and, and leave it to God. And I encouraged them to invite people, to bring them to church, to fish for people. Because Peter said, I'm going fishing. And I said... We need to go fishing, all of us. And they received it with joy. So thank you again, Pastor. Thank awesome. you, church. Thank you for that testimony. Yeah, you can put that over there. That's awesome. And, and so the Scripture says in the book of Matthew that Jesus went preaching, teaching, and healing. 
And that's what he came to do, to seek and to save that which is lost. And here we have him in this house in Capernaum, and he's preaching and teaching and healing. That was his ministry on this earth, preaching and teaching and healing. And uh, so I think a prevailing church follows that example. You know, we're here to preach the gospel, to teach the word, to bring the supernatural to bear in the hearts of people, right? They always say you preach to reach and you teach to keep. Preach to reach people, teach to keep the people, right? You got to disciple them, but also proclaim the gospel to them, right? Uh, That they might be saved. And that's what's happening. So a prevailing church, or the church I want to pastor, has a great commitment to the great commandment, or the great commission, I'm sorry, a great commitment to the great commission, which is to go into all the world and make disciples. It's all about reaching and teaching, reaching and teaching. So we need that, don't we? We need that. And so I'm excited about this summer. I know it's summertime and we slow down, but we have youth summer camp and we have uh, missions coming up to Mexico, a group of people going, uh, about 40 people going to uh, to Mexico to do summer missions. We have Renewing Hope that passed well over 2,000 flyers. That's great. Uh, my wife and I, we've been invited. We've said, we have said yes to this, uh, but in, uh, in the fall, we're going to be going back to Pakistan, Lord willing. Right now, they have a vaccine requirement to go, and neither one of us have been vaccinated, so we might not be able to go. But uh, anyway, it's our desire to be sent to go you know, to do short-term missions. We're a short-term mission church, and we support missionaries at a very high level here at the church so we can touch the world with the gospel. Isn't that a prevailing church? One that touches the world with the gospel. That's the church I want to pastor. The last one, the last one here, well, I'm going to skip that last one. Listen to this. Proverbs 14.4 says, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. So the oxen is used to bring in the harvest. But a lot of people don't want the oxen. The oxen are the workers or the servants that are working the harvest to bring it in. But a lot of people don't want the oxen because oxen make messes that you have to clean up after. So if you're going to be a great commissioned church, and you're going to be rallying people to serve, to work, to go, to share their faith. You're going to get people serving in the house. I want to know there's going to be messes. I got this quote here. Workers, servants, laborers, and helpers, those are the oxen that Proverbs 14 talks about. There are some who are obsessed with making sure there's never any kind of mess to address among believers. This creates an environment where there is little increase because no one will tolerate any mess in the trough. Orderliness can reach the point of sterility. And so Jesus tolerated a mess. They took off the roof in order to reach somebody that needed forgiveness, that paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And so at at Cornerstone, you know, I guarantee you, there'll be some messes as you go to Mexico. Do that show. And I guarantee you, with you summer camp, there will, there will be literal messes in the diapers of those babies and little ones. And the messes that they make in the sanctuary, things like this. 
and also maybe messes, uh, emotional messes or relational messes as, you know, you're just serving with people and, you know, you, they said the wrong thing or, you know, whatever, and you get tired. There, there'll be messes. But I would say the messes are worth it if we can bring in a harvest. Amen to that? All right, bow your heads in the presence of the Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your word. And uh, Holy Spirit, I just want to give you room to move in people's hearts here tonight, especially if there's somebody here that is not right with God. Holy Spirit, you can just grab their heart. We heard that testimony from Jim. He was just sitting back there, and the Holy Spirit grabbed his heart. He ended up coming forward and getting saved. We thank you for that, Lord. And maybe... With your heads bowed, maybe that's you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're far from God or you're distant or you've walked away or you've become cold in your relationship with the Lord and you know that you need to come to Jesus tonight. Well, I'm going to give you that opportunity to come to Jesus. Sitting here in this church on a Wednesday night, if you're here and you would say, Pastor Tim, I want to come to Jesus. Will you pray for me? I will. Just raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you. You need to come to Jesus tonight. Just raise your hand if that is you. You're far from God. Things aren't right between you and God. And you know you need to come to Jesus tonight. Just raise your hand. Just lift it high, and I will pray with you. I don't know. I feel constrained of the Holy Spirit just to give you this opportunity. I'm just going to press you. Perhaps there's somebody here tonight, and you would say, oh, well, I'm a believer. I don't want to do this. But you know that you are far from God. You're like coming back to the Lord. Or maybe you're lost. You don't know the Lord. Just want to give you one last opportunity. I just feel impressed of the Holy Spirit just to go after you. If you want to come to Jesus, raise your hand and I will pray with you. All right, praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Let's close with this song. He will never fail. So I.